Hello, everyone, and welcome to Timeline Scavengers, the podcast specifically designed to last forever. I'm James Anderson, one of your hosts. And I'm Colin Parker, your other host. On this show, we're going through the MCU in historical order, scene by scene or day by day until the end of time. That's right, Colin. And uh, it is time to move into the 70s in a way that is more like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 7. <laughs> he said qualifying the hell out of the thing he was saying despite Colin having just, already done some stuff in the 70s we did, we did agents of shield, shield in the yeah. 70s we did the 70s uh it's 73 time it's time for my father to me. be in high school um oh, that's a... <laughs> wait a minute hang on let me do some quick math 1973 minus my dad would have also been in high school cool cool, cool. what what year was he born uh, 1958. Okay, so he would have been like a freshman. Uh, yeah, freshman, sophomore, depending on what time of year. Right, it right, is, right. Because I know my my dad was uh, class of 74. Yeah, cool. Good to know. So, uh, if you recall, in 1955, when we left, we had a bit of a of a of a kicker there at the end that took us back to 1955 and we had something right before the agents of shield logo came up we we established what time we were going to be in for the next episode so mm-hmm. that's where we're going to start here and so here's the timestamp. it's going to be a little bit of episode four a lot of bit of episode five so here we go uh it is agents of shield season seven episode four starting at 39 12 and going through to 41 17 and then you're going to go over to agents of shield season seven episode five um and you're going to start at 137 that skips the uh, previously, previously on, on yeah. and go to 2418. And here is what happens. Sousa wakes up from having been iced. It's the thing that stunned him. It hasn't been invented yet. And Sousa explains, <laughs> and Coulson explains to him about the mission to fight the Chronicoms. And then he explains about how they faked Sousa's death and took him out of his time. Sousa asks when they've jumped to, and Coulson says that they're trying to figure that out. As he is saying this, the radio tunes into Alice Cooper's No More Mr. Nice Guy. The team is less than thrilled. I think because they're not in their t- their home time and not because they don't like Alice Cooper's No More Mr. Nice Guy, though I can't be sure. Or also, again, like, could you imagine if technically only Colson is actually familiar with that song? So they're like, Ugh, more old music. And he's like, ha, I get- wait, what? <laughs> He has that like unpleasant moment of realizing again that he's just older than the rest of them. May's like, yeah, old music. May, we're the same age. And he's like, we um, went to that concert. Shh, they don't know that. <laughs> just picturing Melinda May dressed up for an Alice Cooper concert. That's, don't hate it. All right. We're then treated to an absolutely amazing 70s style intro to episode five where the main cast gets introduced by the narrator. It's weird and campy and wonderful. Especially in the Jeff Ward direction it goes at the end um he they do a uh one single looks at the camera and smiles uh which is just fantastic uh the team get their era appropriate attire susa opting for a suit like the one he had on before actually that may be the one he had on before also suitsa and head over to the crazy canoe god damn it (laughs) (laughs) boo uh, the password is still swordfish. On the Zephyr, Gemma is rubbing her sore neck when Deke walks into her lab. 
Gemma and Deke talk about Freddie Malik having died back in 1970. Then Deke asks if Gemma has heard from Fitz. Bobo. Grandpappy. Fitz and Simmons are Deke's grandparents. It's a whole thing. And she Surprise! Hasn't. We haven't. Yeah. We've literally not mentioned it because of this. <laughs> and she hasn't. But even if she had, she couldn't say, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Then he talks about how she and Fitz need to have sex so they can conceive his mom. He says, "Bump lemons. Lemons are a thing that we don't understand the importance of just yet. What we will in like a decade." Then he leaves awkwardly. After he goes, Gemma rubs her neck again, and we see that there is something with three going three glowing lights on her spine under her skin. Mac and Yo-Yo go to the lighthouse to confirm that it is abandoned like history said it would be. They do some flirting. Yo-Yo does some worrying about her missing powers, but then they see a desk with a light on and a steaming mug of coffee. I assumed it was coffee. could be tea. They duck into it. It could be cider. It could be uh, almost anything that's hot. They duck into a room, and we see a technician come into the office, put down a file folder, and leave with the coffee. Again, it could be any drink. Back at the crazy canoe, May makes her way drunkenly back from the bar, feeding off of everyone else's inebriation. But when she is sitting with just Daisy, she sobers up and says that Enoch hasn't been to the bar in over a year. Sousa and Coulson spot General Rick Stoner from across the room. Sousa knows him as Little Ricky. (laughs) <laughs> which is what he called himself on his first album until he uh, grew up a little bit. That's uh, a Ricky Nelson joke, which mm-hmm. is weird. Um, as he <laughs> makes his way up, as he makes his way up to the front of the room to celebrate the man responsible for the next phase of Shield's global security efforts, his friend and boss Wilfred Malik, who isn't dead. Malik, it'd be weird if he was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wilfred Malik's body. Malik talks about the new time. There's just a weekend at Bernie's the whole time. Weekend at Freddy's. Freddy's Dead. You ever see that? Um, Actually, Freddy's Dead was a Nightmare on Elm Street. Drop Dead Fred is what I'm thinking of. Um, That was about a zombie. Uh, Malik talks about the new initiative, which is to use satellites and laser telemetry to take out targets, to take out threats before they become threats. Colson recognizes this as Project Insight, which shouldn't be a S.H.I.E.L.D. slash Hydra project for another 40 years. Susan and Colson talk about the implications of this and how the Chronicoms keep Freddy alive, pa- keep, but, dip, dip, dip. and how the Chronicoms keeping Freddy alive past 1970 must be a part of their plan to change the timeline. They decide to get more information about Project Insight, but Colson warns Susa to keep a low profile because he's S.H.I.E.L.D. famous. May introduces herself to Stoner as Chastity McBride and asks him about Project Insight. He tells her that they're still three years away from being ready to launch. I am cutting out so much great banter. Go watch the episode. It is just really good dialogue. It is. Meanwhile, Daisy is watching a kid eat a piece of Project Insight cake. Should have been pie, but whatever. Because it's Project Insight P.I. Should have been pie. Whatever. And a guy starts talking to her. He identifies the kid as Nathaniel, and Daisy pieces it together that the person talking to her is Gideon Malik, and the kid is his brother Nathaniel Malik. Gideon talks a little about a, a little about his dad, how he is busy working in a windowless office, but then he gets down to the business of hitting on Daisy, who makes a move to leave. Gideon stops her, and Sousa swoops in, posing as her fiance, and they walk away, discussing how Nathaniel be- discussing how Nathaniel still being alive is another change in the timeline. 
you know, we were talking about how Nathaniel's uh, an evil fascist. Cut this because we're going to get there. But yeah. Gideon's just a creep, and it's like scales of bad. Like <laughs> when you're in yeah. a bar, you kind of want to be talking to the fascist, if I may. But hmm. anywhere else, you yes. would rather be talking to the creep. Okay. Um. What a what a thing I've just said. Anyways, Coulson <laughs> checks in with Gemma and Deke. Nope, nope. Coulson checks in with Gemma, and Deke overhears that Malik is still alive. Deke is upset, feeling like maybe he should have killed Freddy back in 1931. Mac and Yo-Yo continue to investigate the lighthouse. They note that the power is being rerouted to something big. Then a door opens, and they see Project Insight being built. Daisy takes Sousa back to the secret room where they hid from the Chronicoms in 1931, realizing that that must be the windowless office Gideon Malik was talking about. She sits down at a computer, commenting about how great it is that she doesn't have to hack past any firewalls because those don't exist in 1973. Firewalls don't. They're firewalls that don't exist in the 70s. Firewalls. She finds a list of insight targets, including Bruce Banner, who is still a kid in 1973, and they realize just how bad Project Insight could be if there are names of future Avengers in the future. From the the names of future Avengers on the list. Right. Sousa says that there's only one way Hydra could have gotten those names, and they run out of the office. Coulson and May see Daisy and Sousa emerge from the office. They take that as their cue to leave, but then Coulson is stopped by Freddie Malik. Coulson tries to bluff his way out, but Freddie makes it clear that he remembers Coulson as several Chronicoms emerge to surround the team. Malik tells S.H.I.E.L.D. to surrender and he'll go easy on them. Then Daisy walks up with Nathaniel Malik at gunpoint, and Coulson says that if Malik lets them go, they'll let Nathaniel go. Luke begins to give the order to kill the team, but Freddy tells them to stand down to save his son. As they run away, Seuss is surprised the shield takes ho- that S.H.I.E.L.D. takes hostages and asks Daisy if there's anything else he should know. At that moment, some Chronicoms ascend the stairs from the KK. I was sick of having to um, undo both K- Crazy and Canoe being uh, automated. Mm-hmm. Daisy quakes them into the wall, revealing her power to Sousa and also to Nathaniel. They look around for some sort of transportation when all of a sudden Enoch speeds up to them in a 1973 Dodge Coronet and says, come with me if you want to continue to exist, and they speed away. (laughs) That is such a good, like, reference, but also, like, the perfect Enoching of it. Right. Back on the Zephyr, the team are debriefing when Sousa notices that something is wrong. The jump countdown clock is all over the place. When it settles back down, it is suddenly at 20 seconds. They're about to jump. I wrote she, which is wild, because I did, there's, whatever. Gemma realizes that this means that the Chronicoms have changed plans. Max says that this is their only chance to stop Insight, and that they can't be on the ship. Yo-Yo runs for the nearest door, but before she can reach it, they jump in time. And you said she ran for a panel. She did. I thought she was running for that door. I think, I believe what she's, because the, the panel that's on it has the, like, schematic, like, outline of the Quinjet, Mm. I think the idea was is that I don't and I don't know why she thought this was going to be helpful or whatever, but like again, like they wanted to spend time there to try and fix some things, and I guess yeah. to fix you know Project Insight. And she thinks that again, she isn't using her powers, can't use her powers right now. Right, but she still like tries to. So she's running for like basically like the release uh, of it. I guess it that makes sense because there were other doors surely closer because she has right. to go way the hell to the back of the but ship. But also they're yeah. flying, so it would be wild if she just jumped out of a moving plane. Great point. Great point. No, With no parachute. Fantastic point. She's yo-yo, but not like that. 
Right, exactly. Uh, <laughs> before we get into anything uh, about the notes that I took or in the comics or uh, we have a new episode of television, all this stuff, Colin, are there, what are the highlights that you want to highlight from this section of this episode? Okay, first of all, I will say I love the dialogue moment of after Sousa you know, comes to and he explains to him what happens, like his whole thing about you know, basically like why they pulled him and stuff like that. And he's like, no, no, you don't understand. Like, because you did, like you died in our timeline. Right. And he's like, but we knew that we had the ability to pluck you from it. And then basically insert myself, like still let that legend, that moment happen, which is some end game shit that we're kind of getting to here with this as well. But like him being like, you need to understand that like, no matter what happens, you're dead. Right. Like in that time. Like you cannot right. go back, even if we had the ability to, to figure out where to go. Like in time, like if we could control this, we couldn't take you back if we wanted to. Susan yeah. makes a great point, though. He's like, "How do we know that I died? How do we know you didn't get me each time?" And I think that's right. a great point too. And like, and I I totally agree with that. And like, I think that that's a a very interesting way of looking at things like this, right? Because it's like you don't know when that time loop officially started, right? You know, it's a very SSR sort of. It thing is. to to think like I oh, I agree it's very he's he I think his like detective mind is always there which I think is very good yes. and cool yes but like I I also think that the fun thing here is that like um it's also I think a very like shield esque thing or like a hero thing to do as well which is like listen even if the point is that we always knew this because we go back and pluck you from the timeline. Right. The other thing is that at the very least we have to do it because it's the it's another way of keeping the time stream correct. Right. You know, so right. you know, whatever happens, we have to pull you from it. And it's I think tough for him to figure that out right now, but you know, he'll come to right. terms with it. But they have this great exchange where when they're finally starting to move away from the room and he goes, "Welcome to life after death." And he's like, you know, like I'll tell you all about it, you know. Yeah. Which I think is yeah. a very fun Colson line. Yeah. Um I also love the, uh, I mean, when we first started off this phone call today or this Zoom call, uh, we started it with me jamming to no more Mr. Nice Guy, right? Which is yeah. um, also I a thing that I have a note for. This is the uh, another example of a time where they actually got it right. Yep. It came out days before yep. this scene takes place. Well, and as we'll get to in why that date, there's a reason for that. I see. But like, it's just also one of those things where it's like, it is like, it's one of those things where like, it just came out. So, you know, it's on the radio waves all the right. time. But like, I just think it's so funny. Cause we've talked about, you know, before of like, Oh, is this is not right, but that is, you know, so it's fun that like we go, Oh, we're trying to figure out what time we're in right now. And I love that they always go to the radio for that. Yeah. That's such a fun, like way to figure out a, a, a placeholder since you're in the sky. There's no, yeah. Context. There's a newspaper to find. Yeah. Or also like you can't just like walk outside and see what people are wearing. Can't right. see, you know, uh, posters like you could in 1931 um, after they, you know, walk out from behind like a fence um, and see all right. the different movies that are coming out that year or whatever. Um, I feel like, you know, like that's such a fun way of doing things. Uh, also, we've talked about these before. The stylized intros. Oh, yeah. For episodes. This one is so good. I think it's my favorite. I think one of the reasons why it might be one of our favorites, 
you know, here's what I think it is. I will say, like, design-wise of, like, logos and stuff like that, I think it's technically one of the weaker ones. I agree. Right? But I think it's also because a lot of these other things have frequently been sort of based around, like, movies, for example. Right. Right. You know, like the way the uh, the uh, the UFO style, like right. they came from outer space, kind of thing. You know, like right. that approach to it. But it's also very short. It's it, there's no like theme song. There, it's literally just like here's a stinger of music and Agents of Shield. Right. Right. This was hey, <laughs> we're diving in headfirst into a Starsky and Hutch ass, you know, intro. Um, right. And I love that. It's also such a fun, even mix of uh, I am this character in this moment and I'm staying in it. I'm not addressing the camera. We're, we're doing the action, right? And they were all clips from other episodes. Yes, yes. Which, it, well, with one notable. With one, yeah, I was going to say. But then you get you get the, the Jeff word. Yeah. You know, you get like. The, the Stephanie hard. Tanner sort yeah. of like. Like turn to look at the camera like, oh, hey, you know. Which Can, is so funny. I want to address something really quick. I yep. didn't write it in my notes. I didn't fully form the idea. Deke is the cousin Oliver of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Discuss. Deke's Gus. Do you know Cousin Oliver? I don't think so. Is that, so in the Brady Bunch, they went seasons and seasons with just the Brady Bunch. Here's a story of lovely ladies, three daughters. He has three sons. They get together. Yeah. In the last season... They mm-hmm. get a cousin Oliver who comes to join them randomly. And he's this mm-hmm. cute kid because all of the kids are aging out of being right. cute kids. Right. And he, cousin Oliver, it, cousin Oliver is like universally hated. That's so people funny. just, I mean, and Kristen and me and the kids and I watched all the Brady Bunch. He's fine. He, he's whatever. Like he's well, whatever. But Deke is like kind of the same function, which is like, we got like not cute kid wise, but like he right. was sort of a later addition to the to the team, and so it's funny that he gets to be like and, which makes sense. I I would also maybe go for maybe like a Scrappy Doo. Scrappy Doo is the is, is, is the cousin example. Oliver of Scooby Doo. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Where for it's sure. like Same thing. he gets added in like way later, and everyone's kind of like I don't know about this Scrappy Doo character. I love um, Scrappy Doo. Scrappy it Doo really depended. Guy. It depended on the either episode or also which series they were doing that included Scrappy Doo. Okay, because there yeah. was multiple iterations, and sometimes I was like obnoxious, but sometimes I was like Scrappy. Right. I'm thinking of the one where he gets off the train in the credits, and he's like, I don't. I think it's like Scooby Doo and Scrappy Too is is maybe. Um, so, Anyways. but here's here's another way to look at it, right? Because originally in my head, I was thinking a lot about like Steve Urkel. But the, pro- okay. the difference here is that Steve Urkel comes in and revitalizes the TV show. You know what I mean? Because right. Steve Urkel was not meant to be a long-term Correct. thing. And like, you know, this pre-established family thing. And then it was like, hey, actually, Steve Urkel needs to be forever here, right? But then what's funny is that then like you l- kind of get the later edition of Stefan. Right, Stefan Which I think Raquel. is... Right, because Jaleel White was like, "Can, can seriously not, though? Can I not? Can I actually be so, like I am actually cool? And I would like. Can to I live that. like? Yeah. <laughs> um, listen, we talk about it all the time. Deke is a hard character for me to. Yeah, Jeff Ward, great. I think you're yeah. a fine gentleman. Yeah, Deke is. 
purposefully, uh, what's the word for it? Uh, abrasive, abrasive grading. But like, he's, I feel like he's supposed to be divisive a little bit. Sure. You know? I think that this season pays off on that, if I, I may. I think so. And I think part of it, again, the other thing is, again, a lot of times you add characters thinking this is the dynamic or this is the thing yeah. that's going to work and it doesn't. So then you have to shift. I think a good example of that is Parks and Rec. A lot Ooh, of characters, yes. season one, are very, very different and they find a balance and they yep. change things to. And like, if you kept it as they were in season one, that show would not have lasted. And that's sort of what I think Deke is a lot too. I feel like there's a lot mm -hmm. of stuff that happens with Deke since we meet him. That yeah. frequently just has me like, God damn it, dude. Season Deeply. seven, though, I frequently am kind of like, all right, okay. Yeah. Like, the further into the season we go, the more I'm like, okay. You know, like, part of it is, I think, also just finding his way with the team. Yes. Or into the team. Because there are so many times where I feel like he is there, uh, not necessarily by accident, but it's just like, oh, fuck, okay, I guess we got to bring him, right? He's like but, a confounding element. Like Yes. But, like, in season seven, it's like, you know, he's with them, and then they jump time. Of course he's going to be with them. Right. Yeah, so it's like... It, it, I feel like that it, it's a place where in season seven, it's like, okay, now it makes sense. Right. You know? Anyway, I know that we haven't gotten to the other seasons because, again, it's all in the future. Right. Um, but, like, I don't know. I, I'm fine with it. Um yeah. And then the Malik reveals and stuff like that are yeah. fascinating. Yeah. To say the least. Yeah. it It's weird that in this timeline, uh, Gideon looks the same and Nathaniel looks completely different. Yeah, that is also, yeah. It's <laughs> almost as a, yeah, casting. But it's also almost as if, like, the knowledge that he maybe could have been dead and even though he doesn't have that knowledge yet. But, you know, what I'm saying? It's, like, yeah. it's like, it's almost as if, like, him not stepping through that door makes him suddenly drastically different because he's like, like oh, yeah. I'm a changed man because I realized what right. could have been. Yeah. Here's one final question. Uh, so they obviously keep Malik alive, uh, Gideon, uh, not Gideon, um, Freddy, sorry. Yep. Did they ever mention how he dies in 1970? Nope. They just say that he's dead. He just died. He yeah, just yeah. dies. So, uh, yeah. Like say, diet so and exercise. I mean, could you imagine if it's like what we're missing is the training montage of Luke yeah. being like, like, you know, slapping a donut out of his hand and being like, you know, that's 20 more push-ups, you know, like. I believe it. Luke looks trim too. Well, he is a chronicom. Right. He doesn't eat. Right. He's also a robot. Right. So he can. He's also his... lost weight. He's done. He's done cosmetic surgery on himself. There's, he's not lost weight. You're... He looks way skinnier than he did in in thirty one. I wonder if that's just like the actor. Situation. Well, of course it is. I mean, no, what I mean, like, okay, sorry. What I mean is like. <laughs> James, what I mean more of is just that, like you know, again, they're like, listen, if you're going to be on TV, you know, you kind of have to be a little bit more fit. Oh, the but like, the the state of being an actor, I got. You. Yeah, yeah, more versus like you know, just like randomly, he's like, what if I drop twenty pounds? Like, God, we already did all the costuming. Fuck, okay, that's fine. Yeah, but yeah, no, I, I and also I don't think there's like a, a timeline plot where they go, hmm, this Chronicom needs to be stressed as fuck. <laughs> emaciate him you know He's just, nothing makes the chronicoms lose weight or age or anything but like, chain smoking does weirdly it's a it's a defect listen as the 70s he suddenly gets really into coke he's like you know surprisingly coke does do a lot to chronicoms uh chronicokes nope anyway yeah, uh, 
Coat. Yeah. Chronic Canes. Chronic Canes. I like that. Chronic Canes. Good. Um, He's like, listen, you've had drugs before, but you've never had chronic cane. We walk a line. That's for sure. Anyway, um, we walk a timeline. (laughs) Do you think when when Sybil looks at this timeline, she's ever tempted just to take one star and just be like, what if I just one of those timelines right up? Maybe, Colin. Okay, maybe. Sorry. That's. <laughs> and I'm just like, let me just snort. I some just want to recap. Are you asking me if sometimes Sybil looks at the timeline and thinks I should snort this? <laughs> or maybe she's like, mm, spaghetti. Uh, the pasta and present. <laughs> the possibilities are endless when you have time in your hand. Breadsticks are also limitless. <laughs> anyway, uh, okay, let me move on. Okay, okay. Um, so I have uh, Avengers Ensemble. I also have some notes, and I have a why that date, and I have an in the comics. Wow. Okay. So I have some goofs, some trivia. I have a discussion about the list of names that they find on the computer. Okay. Cool. Let's do it. Avengers Ensemble. It's season seven, episode five. It's called Trout in the Milk. We'll get there. I'll explain that. Um, in two different ways, I'll explain that. That's fun. Uh, it aired on June 24th, 2020. Uh, it was directed by Stanley M. Brooks. Uh, did you know that Stanley's original name was no, Stanley, Stanley M. Brooks? Um, he also directed a season five episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and a TV movie called I Do or Die, A Killer Arrangement. And I think that is a very good title. That is a good title. Um... Uh, it was written by uh, Aiden Baghdadchi, uh, who also wrote a season five episode and a season six episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., as well of, as two of the, I think, five or six episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Slingshot, which is about Yo-Yo, mm-hmm. but we'll get to it. Yep. <laughs> uh, General Rick Stoner is played by Patrick Warburton. He has been on 293 episodes of Family Guy as of our recording on March 2nd, 2023. Oh, it just changed for me two minutes ago, so it's still the first for Colin. Uh, 20 episodes of Baby Shark's Big Show. Uh, Two episodes of Teen Titans Go. Four episodes of Space Force. Two episodes of The Orville. 25 episodes of A Series of Unfortunate Events. 71 episodes of The Venture Brothers. Call of Duty Modern Warfare Remastered, 34 episodes of Scooby-Doo Mystery Incorporated, three episodes of Archer, uh, He was in. he's a voice on Star Tours The Adventure Continues, 52 episodes of The Emperor's New School, he was in the movie Get Smart, which I thought was very good, uh, he was a voice in Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, that thing that was remastered up above, uh, one episode of Robot Chicken, 35 episodes of Kim Possible, 2007's Underdog Adaptation, live action adaptation, uh, kind of live action. I mean, it's a, you know, two episodes of 2005's The Batman, uh, Kronk's New oh. Groove, Sky High, one episode of the 2002 Twilight Zone, Men in Black 2, nine episodes of the 2001 The Tick, 62 episodes of oh, Buzz wow. Lightyear of Star Command. Oh, so good. The Emperor's New Groove, heard of it. Uh, <laughs> he was in uh, the 2000 Spider-Man video game, Scream 3, two episodes of Hercules, 10 episodes of Seinfeld, one episode of Northern Exposure, and one episode of Quantum Leap. And it is time, once again, for that favorite segment of, of, of all of ours within a segment, 
TM, TM, TM. Oh, sick. The trademarks of Patrick Warburton, deep bass baritone voice and mm-hmm. large frame. I think we yeah. can all agree those are correct. That's also, correct. I'm Patrick Warburton. All right. I I will say this uh, about that thing that like I think oftentimes what I think is fun is like voice actors can frequently play multiple types of characters and like yes. you know, they can have all sorts of different bodies and whatnot. I love that basically every character that Patrick Warburton plays effectively just has his body in some right. fashion. Yes. And it's like, they just go, let's just stick literally him into this show. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's awesome. For sure. I agree. Uh, I would say squinting is a TM yeah. that they, they didn't really put in there. I don't know if it's, uh, this is going to sound weird. I don't know if it's squinting or more of like, I feel like he just has really deep set eyeballs. I think it's, yeah, I think it's, it's for sure what you said and possibly a little bit of what I said. Because like, Cause like okay, cause cause here's sort of uh, you've seen, so you've seen Letter Kennedy, right? So you know yeah. that like he he literally squints right when he's Wayne, yeah. right? Yeah. But like in all actuality, one of the funniest things that they've mentioned is how he's like that actually kills my eyes because because he goes like when he sits in like interviews and stuff like that he sits there with wide open eyes and looks like a normal person, right? And he's like, yeah, I just I squint to hell as Wayne. I just yeah, yeah, really. Mm, it's that uh, you know. And he just does that Garth the whole time. Algar. Yeah. But like then I think Patrick Warburton just does look like that. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. So I think it's just that his eyes are so deep within his skull, basically. Right. That like right. it just looks like he's squinting. But I think they're like, open your eyes. He's like, I am. They are open. And you're <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> well. I liked uh, your Patrick Warburton. It's um, not my best, but. There are times where I feel like I don't I don't think I've ever nailed his voice, but I think there are times where I've been like, it's not bad. You know what I mean? And that was not Goose one of them. poison. Yeah, I think yeah. I kind of hit like the halfway point. I, yeah. It's not the worst I've done for Patrick Warburton, but it's definitely yeah. not my best. <laughs> uh, Gideon Malik is played by the same guy that played him in 1970, so go listen to 1970 uh, from uh, Agent Shield Season 3, Episode 16. But Nathaniel Malik is played by an actor, a different actor named Thomas E. Sullivan. We can only imagine that the E stands for Edison. Um, he was in three episodes of Roswell, New Mexico. Sorry, Roswell, New Mexico, not the show Roswell, which is a different show. Uh, he was in one episode of The Mandalorian, one episode of The Rookie, and he was in the very long movie The Irishman, Ugh. which I haven't seen, but which I might. Every now and again, I'm like, I should watch that. And I'm like, James, it's 1130 at night. So then I don't. <laughs> um, uh, so that's it for Avengers Ensemble. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's get into why that date. Okay. Why that year? May 23rd, 1973 is when we have this taking place. Um, and here's why that date. This is according to the MCU wiki. Um, we won't be getting to, I made this decision for a little bit. Um, although I do have some decisions that I've made that we'll get to this year. Anyways, uh, they said the first half of A Trout in the Milk is set in 1973, as evidenced by it being three years since Wilford Malick was supposed to die in 1970, and three years until July 4th, 1976, as well as the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, Instagram, I guess they also said 1973. 
In Out of the Past, No More Mr. Nice Guy by Alice Cooper plays on Arrival, making it no earlier than April 1973. In Trout in the Milk, it is shown that the list of Project Insight targets was last updated on 042173, making it after April 23rd, 1973. Given this and the other aforementioned dialogue, it can be taken to be approximately May of 1973. So they made it like a month after the thing was updated. So it being right after Alice Cooper released that was definitely a, a an anchor point of when they when right. they set this. And now I'd like to tell you about Alice Cooper's No More Mr. Nice Guy just really quickly. Yeah, please do. Uh, it's a song by American rock band Alice Cooper, which is led by American rock artist Alice Cooper, <laughs> who went to my mom's high school. Uh, oh. Released in nineteen 19- yeah. Released in 1973 as a single off their sixth studio album, Billion Dollar Babies. The the single reached number 25 on the U.S. charts and number 10 on the U.K. charts and helped Billion Dollar Babies to reach number one in both the U.K. and the U.S. It was written by Michael Bruce and Alice Cooper. Cooper wrote the song lyrics about the reactions of his mother's church group to his stage performances, saying that there were worse things that he could do with his life and that, quote, the gloves were off now. Uh, Interesting. It is. I did an episode of Dazed and Confused 33 and a Third, uh, where we talked about this song as it appears in Dazed and Confused. Oh, wait, um, you were on that episode? Yeah. That is so funny because I was thinking, like, oh, because uh, I was thinking about that earlier when I was seeing that it was in that movie, and I was like, I was like, I know that that was covered in the in in his show, but like I didn't recognize or yeah. remember or whatever. That, yeah, that was, was that was me. Um, Fun. And it was the last top 10 song in the U.S. from his time with the band Alice Cooper before he started his solo career as the solo career artist Alice Cooper. That's not confusing at all. Nope. Um, It'd be like if the lead singer of Kiss was named Kiss. Uh, (laughs) Although I will say that uh, the band Sade is led by uh, or was led by a singer named Sade. So... Or if the band was called Sinead O'Connor. Okay, so Trout in the Milk. Um, so there's a couple of things here. So according to the writer, when they were researching the opening credit sequence sequences of 70s cop shows, then MCU Wiki put in parentheses on YouTube, which I think is a hilarious parenthetical. Because <laughs> <laughs> it means it came clearly from an interview. Right. Uh, but it does seem like a qualified... It seems like, like they were looking on YouTube <laughs> On YouTube. Uh, they came upon the title, The Streets of San Francisco, colon, A Trout in the Milk, and decided to use it for this installment. The Streets of San Francisco was a cop show in the 70s, so they literally ripped off the title of a of a 70s cop show, which is cool. Uh, the title, A Trout in the Milk, refers to an expression coined by Henry David Thoreau. In his journal of November 11th, 1850, Thoreau wrote, Some circumstantial evidence is very strong, as you win, as when you find a trout in the milk, um, which I think is very funny because it means like it's the thing where it's like, well, this is wrong, very, very wrong, obviously wrong. I don't know what it means though, and I right. think it's very cool that Colson picks up on the Thoreau reference because he says, ah, circumstantial evidence, yes, blah blah blah. blah. So he knows that that is a Thoreau reference, which he should because he's a computer. Um, the 1970s style blue shield uniforms that we see with Colson and May, the people running by, mm-hmm. uh, are based on the original comic book uniforms for Shield, minus the shoulder holster right. and the knife strap to the left boot. Um, here are the so we see a list of names on the computer. Yes, um, and these are 
many of these are names that are pertinent to uh, the comic book universe. Uh, so we have Conrad Murphy, uh, who wasn't in the MCU. In the comics, he, he at one point inherited the Mace of Aishma, and he was the father of secret warrior Sandra Murphy. Uh, Bruce Banner is the Hulk. That is a definite herd of him sort of deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Victoria Hand, who is a S.H.I.E.L.D. Right. agent we have seen in the MCU. Redacted, redacted. Let's not right. give away things we don't need to. She's also in the comic books. Uh, she is someone that they definitely go back and forth about whether they trust her. Let's just say that. Right. Uh, Nikiola Amador is not in the MCU, but she uh, has the same last name as S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Akila Amador, who herself was born in 1983 and is seen in season one of the show. Uh, real quick before we move on, I will say, I think the reason why the trust thing happens with Victoria yeah. is because it's always on the other hand. Oh, yeah. Very but on good. the other hand... Yeah. So I like that. That's very good. That's Thank very you. good. Also, like, the hand. Oh, well, yeah. Um, She's the other hand. She's the other hand. That's very funny. That's very good. <laughs> I couldn't have gotten there without you. Uh, So she may be Akilah's mother. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Phillips, who is unseen in the MCU, in the comics he is known as Ice Phillips. <laughs> and one incarnation in the comics is a Vietnam conflict veteran. Uh, Margaret Nelson, unseen in the MCU, but she shares a last name with Franklin Foggy Nelson. It says, from the mm. Netflix MCU shows. Yeah, yeah, we, we got it. We got there. <laughs> uh, so she may be yes. a relative of his. Uh, Jim Morita is on the list. We've oh, met him before. Yeah. Uh, he was in the Howling Commandos. He's also has a descendant in Spider-Man Homecoming. Mm-hmm. And Roberto Gonzalez, uh, who is heir apparent to Nick Fury for the role of Director of S.H.I.E.L.D. seen in season two of the series. Um, and then so, Cole... Uh, Sousa also mentions that Nick Fury and Peggy Carter are also on the list, though we didn't see them in the in the readout. Uh, so Do you think f- that he just randomly added that in? <laughs> like the way the way they didn't didn't show it, then he goes, "Hey, Nick Fury and Peggy Carter," and they're like, "Stop improvising, fine, fine." <laughs> Enver. Um. Sometimes. He, Denver. Wait, there's an M Carter here, but I don't know which one. <laughs> what does that mean? Uh, I don't know. We never figured no, no, it out. No. It's probably nothing. <laughs> um, my ladies and gentlemen, Chad Michael Murray. What? Why? Oh, hey, hey, everyone. I'm Michael Carter. What? <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> I like watching this journey. Yeah, I just took a journey down the the road of that implication. Uh, so, uh, Enoch shows up in a 1973 Dodge Coronet. Um, I went on the international. Uh, automobile film database or whatever it's called mm-hmm. uh this car the specific make year and model of this car has appeared in taxi driver death wish 4 the original taking of pelham 123 mean streets kojak the conversation the odd couple the rockford files taxi that's the sitcom not the horribly violent movie airwolf 21 drum street the original tv show not the horribly violent movie the not as you know um, Channing Tatum, The Nice Guys, The Incredible Hulk TV Show, Transformers, The Last Night, Mindhunter, wow. The Post, Black Klansman, True Detective, Westworld, The Old Show, um, Supergirl, Remington Steel, The Mod Squad, and Mannix. So it That's has a lot of shows. pedigree in 1970s yeah. cops. Like <laughs> That's a lot of programs to be in, yeah. uh, and, and movies rather, to be included. Wow. For sure. Uh, a couple of goofs noted in the IMDb. 
When Daisy walks into the hidden room with Agent Sousa, she notices the Tascam reel-to-reel tape recorder with digital counter. This is the Tascam 32 two-track uh, recorder from uh, uh, 1989 to 1997. Howard Stark. Mm-hmm. Um, General Stoner and tells him, and the Chronicoms, right? Because I mean, uh, listen, hey, listen, I don't, I don't know if that one's a goof, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna counterbalance that one. If we're moving Project Inside up by forty, 40 years, years, yeah, I think a fifteen year difference yeah. on a on a recording device is certainly believable. <laughs> I think that you are correct in that. Um, General Stoner tells May he might be in violation of HR guidelines, human resources guidelines, if he buys her a drink. This term is not used in the 70s. It was referred to as a personnel department. I think it is a wild thing to call that a goof because it means that you think that every single company everywhere didn't use the word human resources. And I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe it's a it's a firmly established thing. It's funny that if you called it an HR department back in the 70s, it was ambiguously polite. Um, I was just about to say, it's a lot like now. <laughs> it's so funny. They go, what did you just call us? <laughs> Whoa, we are personnel. I'm taking that More like person hell, right? And oh, they're like, we're changing the name immediately. Do you hear what I said? No, what did you say? I said, I'm taking that one personnelly. Oh, personnelly is very good. Also, the name of a rapper who is also a person. person. I am personnelly. You don't need to qualify it. We get it. <laughs> Chance the rapper has me all confused. All right. It's like, ever uh, since I saw... Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I need to tell you that I'm not a Chronicom. They're like, we get it. You have emotions. It's weird that you'd bring that up. Um, yeah, went off the air three years ago, dude. <laughs> Stop. As I have always been up in here. All right. Um, cut that. Enoch makes a note. Oh, I thought you that, that one in. That one's funny. <laughs> you absolutely should leave it in. Uh, Enoch <laughs> makes a note that his getaway car has a five-star safety rating from Consumers Reports. Uh, it's actually the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration that uses this five-star rating system. So... Good job, nerds. You found them. You got the you got the mistakes. Wow. Great job. I hope you feel proud of yourself. No, seriously, I do. Did it sound like I was being sarcastic? I a wasn't. Bit. A little Did bit. But I also think it's too? so funny that we're like, we're like, ugh, I can't believe they're finding these inaccuracies. And I go, this song didn't come out for another two years. What are you doing, Marvel? Right. <laughs> Moving on to In the Comics. Uh, we have two people from In the Comics. Uh, Rick Stoner who had his first appearance in Fury slash Agent 13 number one in April of 1998, and his death in Fury slash Agent 13 number two in May of 1998. But both of these were retconned to having his first appearance be Fury number one in March of 1994, in that same way that we've talked about with Jessica Jones and and, uh, Hank Pym and stuff, where it's like, oh, see that guy? That's Rick Stoner. when American businessman Howard Stark formed the paramilitary espionage organization known as S.H.I.E.L.D., former CIA agent and U.S. Army colonel Rick Stoner was appointed as the espionage agency's first public executive director. In 1965, Rick Stoner was reported to have been killed by Hydra operatives during a mission. However, years later, Stoner's replacement as executive director Nick Fury discovered that his predecessor never actually died, but was instead left for dead and abandoned by S.H.I.E.L.D. John. Garrett. Seeking revenge on the espionage organization, Stoner, under the codename Fallen Angel, led Fury to a project based on cosmic cube power capable of creating a pocket reality accessible only to S.H.I.E.L.D. Only to the S.H.I.E.L.D. director. It's the periods in S.H.I.E.L.D. mixed me up uh, punctuationally. I feel you. Stoner hoped that with Fury's assistance, he would be able to rewrite history to prevent S.H.I.E.L.D. from having ever been created. Weird. Cool to... Interesting. Pull that. Yeah. Both Fury and Fallen Angel, that's Stoner, 
fell through the portal open to the Cosmic Cube's fabricated world, but Fury refused to aid Stoner in his plot, and Stoner committed suicide when he realized that he would never have his revenge against S.H.I.E.L.D. Sure. Stoner is his last name. No one comments on that at all. <laughs> so I mean, For the 70s, too, I'll tell you. Hey, I'm like, Rick Stoner. And he's what? like, you're not a beatnik, are you, Stoner? <laughs> What'd you call me? Stoner, <laughs> ambiguously polite. Right. Oh, Usted. It's the Usted Stoner. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, exactly. The Usted, Sto- Usted Stoner is the name of my uh, psychedelic album. Um, <laughs> uh, and then Chastity McBride uh, is the name of a character. Uh, it's the alias that May uses. Um, in the comics, I believe she spells it with a Y. Uh, like McBride. That is all that I have for all of my notes. Colin, do you have a segment? I do, in fact, James. Uh, Give me one second here. James? Yes? As you know, in 1970, someone was supposed to die. Yep. But he didn't. And Mm. so it means that we got a couple more times of seeing Nathaniel Malik. James, I'd like to welcome you to the Penultimate episode of Who's Freddy? That's right, everybody. Yay. We are back for one more. Well, who? not one more. We have two more. But this is one more of those two more of Who's Freddy. James, here yes. is your clue. Okay, here we go. This Freddy is an American actor, comedian, and writer. He's actually quite a serious man, however. He's been in a wide range of projects from Woody Allen films to a role in the MCU and is definitely one of those guys that when you see him, you go, oh, that guy. I've seen him in everything. I got hung up on A Serious Man, which is the name of a movie. Woody Allen films, role in the MCU. And then you also said A a Serious Man. Mm -hmm. I think I have to give up. Am I going to be like, oh, I think that when I send you, I'm going to send you the IMDb page and you're going to go, I think you might actually go, shit. I think you'll, you'll remember him. I hope at least you'll remember him instantly within the MCU. Oh, Fred Malamed. I know him from everything. Uh, what do I know him from? He was in, oh, he was in, right. I know him from, uh, reboot and, I feel like he oh in a world that's what it is in a world is a great t- uh, great movie and everyone should see it uh wh- his wife plays who his wife was kitty in uh that 70s show and that 90s show oh because remember they go to their to their house in wandavision right, 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 they have the dinner right. and she's like mary joe rupp i believe yep and then she's laughing and she's like okay and then he's choking and it's like help him help him Right, he plays the boss. Right, 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 right. he's the boss. Good, good pull. I love it. Fred Malamud felt really good about that one, and it's yeah. wild to me that somehow I never saw him in my initial listing when I was creating my very first list, thinking that I was yeah. never going to come back to this again because I kind of forgot that he survived uh, in the Chronicom timeline. Me too. Uh, Same thing. Yep. I I had to do some deep cuts. Yeah, Which, and I, if you what? guys want to get access to the new special edition, uh, deluxe edition, uh, Who's Freddy mug, all you need to do is go to... Yeah, go to www.scavengersnetwork.com slash shop and click on Timeline Scavengers. And, uh, and this one will have uh, the ones that Colin 
is doing for the oh. 1970s is a deluxe version. Not it has the extra threads. Yes, um, for sure. It's definitely been edited. Shall I give us a little bit more insight on the 70s? I love that. Yes, please mm. do. Great. Well, that is really just our, my code word of saying, hey, we've talked uh-huh. a lot and now it's our time to go. So uh, we're going to jump out of this year uh-huh. very quickly and without warning. So I don't care if you're running for the door. It's not going to work. Uh, thank you so much for joining us here on Timeline Scavengers. As always, I'm Colin Parker. I'm James Anderson. Excelsior. The Scavengers Network. Creator-driven, community-focused, treasured content.